WOZOLP 103.9 FM, Knoxville. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Digital Free Thought Radio Hour. The swirl of smoke from candles burning While Mary looked up yearning I got confirmed and I confessed I really felt that I was blessed Plus I love my uniform So did the boy who lived next door But something changed When I became of age And all those things I thought were true Someday Free Thought Radio Hour. I'm Daughter Five, and we have with us today, we have um, River. Say hi, River. Hello. And say hi, Wombat. Hello, this is the Wombat! It's always easy to tell when Wombat's online. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. This is Digital Free Thought Radio Hour. Uh, this is WOZO Radio 103.9 LPFM in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're live. I'm Dr. Five, and as usual, we have Wombat, and we have Riff, and Digital Free Thought Radio Hour is a talk radio show about atheism, free thought, rational thought, humanism, and science. And conversely, we also talk about religion, religious faith, God, politics, and superstition. And if you get the feeling that you're the only non-believer in Knoxville, well, you're just wrong. There are several atheist and rationalist groups that exist right here in Knox Patch, and I'll tell you all about them a little later on the show and how you can connect with them. Also, did you know that there's been an atheist call-in television show broadcasting here in Knoxville and has been over seven years? Did you know that one back? I heard about it. It's uh, I actually did some research on this. I want because I can't. I I tend to get this answer wrong. So let me tell you, I finally figured this out. I got all the VHS tapes. It's all about this guy who's really, really nice, you know, he has good American values, works as like a journalist, and then for some reason jumps into a phone booth and puts on red underwear. I don't know what happens after that, I kind of zoned out, but it ended with him like uh, reversing time by flying around the world. I don't know, it's a little far-fetched to me. Seven out of ten. Uh, you think you're thinking of a different show. I really do. Anyway... Uh, this is a, I mean, there is a television show here in Oswald that's an atheist calling show, and you can, you can watch it right here on, well, you can watch it right there on ctvnox.org every Tuesday at 5 o'clock. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, and in spite of what Steve Martin would have you think, there are an awful lot of atheist songs out there, and you'll hear some of them on this program and generally on this station as they're in rotation. And we have a couple things we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first thing I wanted to bring up was there in Dayton, Tennessee. Uh, you may recognize that as uh, the site of the famous monkey trial of 1925, where they, they put evolution on, on trial. Uh, they, they had a, a biology teacher who wanted to challenge the law with his, with uh, several other people, and he started teaching evolution. And in 1925, in Tennessee, evolution, the teaching of evolution was 
against the law. There were laws against it. He had to teach the creationist theory, the creationist line, pretty much, pretty much right out of the Bible, in school. And uh, there are some of us that remember way back to the 50s. I can certainly remember that because I remember it in my, in my classes as well. Um, but this, for the last 10 or 15 years, has been one statue outside of the Dayton County Courthouse. And that state, that statue was Brian. Uh, what's his first name? Uh, Williams. William Brian. 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 Uh, there's also a William Bryant College down in that area, and they funded his statue to be out front. Of course, he was the uh, he was the religious uh, attorney. He was the one who was going to take the creationist view during the trial. Now, uh, the secularists we couldn't let that stand, so we sent like the biggest lawyer in, in the United States down there to to uh, take on that challenge. And that lawyer was Clarence Darrow. That's right. And that it was the event this weekend. They finally, after 15 years, put a statue of Clarence Darrow up right across the little walkway there from the statue of William Bryant. And there were, not, I don't know, maybe 50 people in the crowd. And we did expect some protest, but we didn't see any. There weren't any. There were some people with walked around with the Bible and grew and everything. You could expect them to show. There were some people, I think only one person with the Bible, um, booing every so often, but that's to be expected. Yeah, right. Uh, so it's, it's very good that we finally got our, our side represented, represented, uh, on the, uh, the courthouse lawn. Of course, I understand now that the courthouse is not really the courthouse, it's just a museum. Uh, they pretty much kept it the way it was, uh, during the monthly trial. And if you're interested in learning more about the monthly trial, uh, you can go and watch a movie that actually they made a couple of movies out of it. But Inherit the Wind, number one, it was done like in the 40s, I think. Yeah, there's a bit of liberties taking some of it, but it's pretty, it's pretty accurate. There's just some. Little... They literally used the transcripts from the uh, from the trial for the, the the dialogue in the movie. Of course, they built a whole false story around it to make a love interest and all that. Right. But otherwise. Oh, no. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty close to the, to the actual, uh, transcript of the trial that, that took place. It's very interesting watching. And they also made another movie, uh, after, after the 50s, I don't remember, or after the 40s. Hold before. on, it, this is, it's, it's, uh, the return of, I forgot what his name, Daryl, uh, the lawyer. It's the red guy, he has the red cape. And he has a girlfriend named Lois Lane, and they're totally cool. I really think they're gonna make it. They have some spats every once in a while. I don't know why I don't they just hook it up. I, it's it's been bothering me this whole time. Yeah, like we're finally getting to the point. Hey, I'm really curious. How did evolution uh, figure into that? Okay, so like here's the thing. We're we're all transitionary animals destined to get laser vision. I think that's how it's gonna end up. And I can't wait for the day. When we get it, and you're all going to be laughing, you're laughing now, but when I'm flying around at sonic speeds around the Earth, then who's going to be the laughing person? It's going to be me. That would be interesting. I want to be there. I want to film that. Okay, yeah. I invite you. Anyway, they did another remake of Inherit the Wind, I think, in the 60s. And uh, who was it in it? Um, I forget that one. Jack Nicholson? Jack Nicholson. Forgot that one, yeah. I think, anyway, look it up. Inherit the Wind, well worth, uh, see. There was another item in the news that we were going to do. Can you remember what that was about? Uh, uh was it the healthcare? 
Um, well, maybe it was a topic you were talking oh. about. It may not have been in the news, just something you okay. wanted to talk about. Well, it all it all kind of ties together. Um, so recently, the uh, Senate version of the uh, the uh, air quotes healthcare bill tax loophole vote uh, was uh, failed because uh, two poor people came out against the bill itself, which were crucial, you know, given a fighting chance of it passing. Um, that happened, so there was much rejoicing, Monty Python, yay! And uh, so it just kind of reminds me that why would healthcare really even be a concern for people specifically of the Abrahamic faith? I mean, if all you need to do is have the faith and drink poison and nothing will harm you and the, the blood, uh, the healing blood will cure all, you know, cure all wounds, uh, then why would you need modern technology? Why would you need, uh, you know, practiced and labored doctors and nurses to know their craft? Ooh, ooh I know that one. Oh, oh, go ahead. It doesn't work, has it? Uh, we have a winner. If it does work, if it did work, why are there handicapped parking spots in, out in front of churches? Yeah. And why, why do you help, help the healers, I mean, uh, faith healers, not practice their, their faith healing in, in hospitals where, where children need them, where people need them, day in and day out. They go to, they set up a tent and charge, well they don't charge, but they pass the plate about the same thing, uh, and, and literally just scanning the crowd. Oh. But, yeah, it, it's, it's just kind of, uh, in, in the aspect of death itself, I mean, this is, I know this is a tired point, but it never, loses its potency. Um, why are people afraid of death uh, if they believe they're going to a better place? It's completely contradictory unless there is an evolutionary instinct that held us uh, to compel to not die and this thing called reality we're living in that we're trying to preserve. That seems an logical explanation, but you know, if you're convinced at a very young age that you have this duality of these two different things, then you, you cling to both. It's very problematic. And then, furthermore, push it under the people when they themselves don't care to what they're pushing to. So it creates this big convoluted system to where it, it just becomes a big mess the more and more over time it's not addressed, especially in terms of medicine and death and life and so on. Um. Wombat, what do you think the people worry about that? Why don't they just pray for their health care instead of uh, instead of worry about going to the doctor and making appointments and, and all that stuff? If I were going to make a guess, I think people and think that the prayer in itself is helpful. Like, there is comfort in knowing that you're at least talking to someone who will listen to you whenever you want and who knows you more exactly as well as you know yourself, there's, even if, even if there was like a magical pill that could solve any cure, I think there would still be religion and people who would want to pray to a God just for the sake of not feeling alone in their personal struggle or strife. What do you think about that? People are social creatures. They, they like to feel like they're not alone, and when they are alone, it gives them stress. Um... But at the same time, they, they make all these claims about their beliefs, but then when the, when the rubber hits the road, as, as it were, they, they fold on them. They go to the doctor. They, 
they take aspirin and they, for a headache. You know. Like a friend of mine used to say, you know, I pray and take that and my headache goes away. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's feelings over facts. You know, we have the same thing with my mom. Uh, we were, she was, we were, uh, so I went to go visit her in Chattanooga like about a couple of weeks ago, Mama Wombat. And we're sitting in a doctor's office. I drove her to a doctor's visit that she's doing. She's going to a new nurse there. And the whole time she's bringing up like, you know, evolution again. And I think I talked about this last time I was on the show where she didn't believe in it. And I'm like, mom, I'm not trying to have an argument with you, but like, I'll take a, you know, a a street epistemology point of view and just ask you questions about, you know, why you're so confident evolution's a lie. And meanwhile, she disappears, you know, behind her, you know, nurse's practice office. But again, she's, she's fully confident she's having regular discourse with the most powerful entity in the universe, yet she has to go to a doctor on, you know, her, her kids, you know, dying to take care of herself. And I think, you know, there's, it's not so much about looking at crucial factors or particularly facts. It's about the comfort that she gets from feeling like she's right, which isn't something, which is a really, really valuable feeling for people who may not necessarily have like the, the time to like learn things as rigorously as those who spent their entire lives dedicated to that kind of craft. It, that's what I call an irrational dichotomy. What, what do you call it something else? Uh, one time. Uh, yeah, I call it expensive. That's what I call it. Oh my gosh. But no, I mean, they believe that they're total friends with the creator of the universe, the most powerful being in the universe, but actually outside of the universe too, I guess, because he's outside and created uh, they have his ear. He loved them more than any parent ever loved the child. And, and but when she gets ill, he doesn't love her enough to, to actually cure her. Nor does she sure. believe that he will. She believes that she has to go to the doctor. Her, her God asks her to go to her atheist son to figure out what to do. Yeah, but you know what? I don't mind it. I love my mom. I want her to be well, so I don't mind doing it. But I do it like it if you know when she does if she does a regular prayer instead of just saying like, "Hey, you know, God, thanks for everything." Also, be like, "Hey, God, thanks, you know, for everything," and then call me up and be like, "Hey, you know." Here's this bill that got paid. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm like, not a problem. At least I'll call her back and say with my own words, not a problem, Mom. So, yeah, there's things like that. But I don't have a chip on my shoulder. She's helped me out, too. So, uh, what can I say? What can you say, really? I think the dark side of that, too. Uh, when you have the most powerful, judgmental uh, being, uh, who's the judge of all right and wrong in the universe, and he's aware of everything you think and every action you take, uh, it's you've got to you've got to develop some form of schizophrenia or at least uh, paranoia uh, when that happens. I mean, sure you trust the guy, but at the same time, you know he's not going to go out of his way and do something for you because you tested it too many times. So, if you want to go down a scientific route, this is actually kind of an interesting thing. Uh, the reason why it may not be as scary as a road is because it's all, what they're the voice in their head that they think is God is ultimately themselves. Uh, I, like, obviously it is, but, like, it's, it's also set, it's satisfactory circle of them hearing themselves talk to themselves. And so the way they were able to demonstrate this, because I'm not just going to say things that I can't hopefully demonstrate, but there's a study that was done uh, actually through MIT and Virginia Tech where they take 
a random set of people and they put them in an MRI machine. And in the MRI, they ask them questions of like, hey, uh, here's this person. Uh, and there's like a little interview that they're doing with this person. Then they ask them questions like, hey, Sally, did she like to go to Paris? And if Sally said yes in the video, they'd say yes. And then they'll show them some other things. But what they would eventually get down to is they would start asking them questions of where they would like to go, what music they like, what people they like, what actions they think is good, and what the actions they think is bad. And they can map all of their responses to the brain uh, scans as they take them. And they can find out what areas of the brain are activated based on what kind of questions are being uh, answered by the person. And then they ask them what they think they're, if they believed in God, and if they said yes, what are they God's, what were their God's position on certain things? And it started off with like some basic things that you can get verbatim from the Bible, like what's your, what's God's view on stealing? But then they would ask them like more subjective things, more like, you know, what's God's opinion on, you know, this particular law that came out recently? And every single time, even when they asked them with verbatim questions about the Bible or like, you know, specific phrases from the Bible, uh, each time their brain would light up, it would match perfectly with the one that represented what they thought, not so much what other people think. When you think about what someone else would say, a different part of your brain would light up when you talk about something that you think you would say. And even if the answers were different among different people, the same part of the brain lit up among them all, which is pretty good uh, demonstrable evidence that when people are saying, hey, well, God doesn't think you should do this, or God thinks you should do that, they're really just espousing their own personal preferences. And if that's the case, then it might be a completely different disorder from schizophrenia where they really do legitimately feel like there's other people in the room talking that they have no control over. And I think that subtle difference is not only profound from the concept of how, you know, believers think of themselves, but also like a completely different facet to like what an actual mental illness is and how that can actually affect or like what kind of road they'd be on towards ultimately leading towards that kind of a mental illness. It's definitely its own bag of cats. <laughs> That's probably the best way I can put it. But yeah, it's, a, it's its own animal, but it's a scary animal even all the same. Well, you know, something that I think ties into all this is something that Daniel Dennett hits on every so often, and that of the importance of being not really an entity, but the belief in is what... So, I mean, people will live their lives, they'll go to church, they'll go to the community centers, they'll do all these things, and you could take the supposed entity there or not being there, it doesn't make a difference, they're still going to do what they do because of their belief. That's all they rationalize it later. They rationalize it. It's all they're doing is a habit they've formed based on a worldview that has been meticulously put together over various factors over the course of their life, and it's led them to live their lives in such a way. So they're going to do what they're going to do based on what they think, regardless whether an entity is there or not there. And as time goes on, we'll keep on discovering new and more uh, descriptive and more accurate understanding of why natural phenomenon um, occurs. Um, so it's kind of like Neil deGrasse Tyson goes on about how, um, you know, if one's view of the divinity is that which cannot be explained, then divinity is an ever-receding pocket of scientific knowledge. And that just seems to be the case more and more going forward. But the massive cognitive dissonance prevents people from really looking into that, because they had this uh, fear baked in, depending on what religion you are, and two, community backing up that type of belief. You know, it, 
it's not just you and your belief. It's you in the community and a part of that belief. So it feeds into the social aspect of it as well. So, recapping, you're saying that they they believe what they want to. I mean, they believe what they believe because they want to believe it. Right. It's an image that they use to... to, to it's, it's, you can believe that a balloon is is hovering above your head and it's invisible. But it doesn't matter whether, whether it's there or not. It's just belief that it's there that is making, you know, influencing decisions. So that's what long story short. Right. Um, that gets us back to like Pascal's wager, if you're familiar with that, you know. Uh, if you believe, in, if you're an atheist and you don't believe, and there's not a God, there's nothing that happens to you and the Christians, you and the Christians go into the ground and the end of it. But if you're, uh, if there is a God, you go to hell and Christians go to heaven. But the thing about it is, it's not an argument for God. It's an argument for belief. I mean, it, it, what it's doing is just saying, you better wait, you better, uh, you better take that route in your thought process. And, uh, to me, it's like Tinkerbell. You remember the, uh, Peter Pan? And Tinkerbell drinks the poison and sits so Tinkerbell, I mean, so the Peter Pan won't do it. And then she gets there all well, and everybody has to believe. Believe in Tinkerbell, and, you know, stand up and clap and make sure you believe. How in the heck did belief ever get to be the ticket for heaven? I mean, isn't it supposed to be, you're supposed to be a good person all your life? I mean, they, t- they tell you that. Be a good person. But in you know, all, all through the uh, New Testament, the ticket to heaven is belief. you got to believe. No matter what you do, later you can get forgiven as long as you believe. Uh, I mean, to me, that's immoral. Better yeah. five. Yes. How is it that you get to bring up flying boys, yet when I bring up flying people, it's a joke? When you, I get to bring up what? Oh, flying boys, you can't bring up your red, red cape, uh. Yeah, what? You do it, it's a serious, serious thing. Everyone's paying attention and like, oh, he's so smart. Think of all the things he's saying. Then I bring him up and everyone's like, nah, ah, wombat, and it's silly things. That's a, that's a, that's a diable dichotomy. And I'm just saying, I'm I'm just saying. Uh, But yeah, I think your point's about, I think your point's fair. I also think, you know, like on top of that, people like to feel, like, including with what Riv was saying, uh, people like to feel that their beliefs are true. Uh, They also like to, or how to put it, people want to, people want to, people want to believe in true things and people want to feel that their beliefs are right, but they're not necessarily going to always line up. That's not always going to always be the case. And if we just got people more comfortable with the idea that, you know, there's some cases where your beliefs might not be true. What's more important isn't so much what you believe then, it's why you believe it. Because if you can have a really good filter of separating bad beliefs or false beliefs from true beliefs, then that's what you can have confidence in. Not so much the belief itself, but your ability to parse bad information from good information. And then as long as you're able to do that, then hail you have a really good mechanism for uh, holding true beliefs, and that's something that should be shared with the world, not so much just the belief itself. I wish more people were just a little bit more. It's not so much what you believe, it's why you believe it. That's all I'm saying. You do a lot of street epistemology. You talk to a lot of people. You ask them a lot of questions about faith and stuff. Do you ever ask them how much they value the truth? No, I haven't gotten that yet, but that's a good question, actually. I mean, that's I wonder... like one of the first questions I think that I would ask them, because a lot of people will tell you up front, you know, if it's not in the Bible, it's not the truth. 
I mean, they use the Bible to define what true is, and you've lost them if they say that, and I'll just go back to your book. You know, that's a good point. I do go the opposite way. I ask them, do you value doubt or, like, skepticism? I wouldn't say skepticism, but I'd say doubt. And at first they would say no or they lean towards no, but they would understand the value of it if they just gave it a little bit more thought and we talked about it for a while. And then we would realize, you know, doubting things is actually really good because it can get rid of stuff that, you know, you might have been really, really confident was true. And I won't press that issue so much, but I would let them realize that doubt's a good thing, not so much a bad thing. And, and I think if you go to, like, some religious circles, they would shun doubt. They'd say, hey... I believe in this 100% or Downing Tom or there's, you know, there's lots of stories where a person who's doubtful is looked at as a, a, a object of scorn. But when they can realize it outside of the context of religion, that doubt is, in fact, very valuable and useful and, in fact, integral to living safe and happy sometimes, uh, it, it becomes a easier framework to introduce it and then dis- and not talk about it for a while and then talk about the religious faith and then bring up doubt again, and then see how they respond to it after they've admitted that it's a useful tool. Like, now you have a religion, where do you use doubt in your religious beliefs? And that might freeze them a little bit, but it'd be an interesting way to, like, continue in conversation, now that I'm thinking about it. You know, people have barriers that build up over time, and uh, the more, basically, we enforce those barriers to come through conversations and basically... In philosophical circles, you'll hear, you know, uh, beware the sound of, of one hand clapping or you know, echo chambers. And so you'll have this built up way of thought. I mean, it's just impervious. It is insurmountable. It is, it is the way to be. And then so when someone comes along and asks a simple, simple question of, well, how confident are you about this? Or do you think maybe if you were born here, you might have thought this, or born there, you might have thought that? And just these simple things that people might have not entertained before, uh, but now that you're asking them, and if, you know, if you establish maybe at the beginning, I, I kind of like Goddard's point of establishing, you know, do they seek truth? Are they interested in truth? Uh, you go about the path of doubts, which I think is another way of getting to it. It's just kind of uh, taking a different step, but um, if, if one way or another, if it can be discerned and they can affirm that they're interested in being genuine with what they're saying, then exercising just a, you know the degree of intellectual honesty, then uh, and and they can't really get away from the answering question of if I was born here or if I was born there, then that can really throw someone off their base, and uh, I think that's a good thing. You know, Lawrence Krauss. Uh, I was listening to a speech from him some time ago. Lawrence Crouch, uh, Kraus was saying that he hopes, I'm paraphrasing, uh, in everyone's lifetime that they can basically have something they thought to be, uh, ground solid, unshakable truth to be completely, uh, dissuaded of that and be, to discover, well, I was wrong with it all along. Because it does, it does so much for growth, and it does so much for perspective. Preconceived notions of whether you're right or wrong as well on anything. But getting down to the bottom of the hour, I really need to take a program break. Uh, this is Digital Free Thought Radio Hour, uh, Atheist Talk Show.
We have Wombat and Rid and Doubter 5 here on the line. Um, this is WOZO Radio 103.9 LPFM. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll be listening to a song called Love is Stronger Than Jesus. And uh, we'll come back in probably around three or four minutes. Love is Digital Free Thought Radio Hour on Wozo 103.9 LPFM in Knoxville, Tennessee. Feel free to join in on the conversation at 865-333-5937. That's 865-333-5937. And now, back to the show. Digital Free Thought Radio Hour. Simply the best. And we're back. Uh, this is Doubter 5 on Digital Free Thought Radio Hour, this call-in show. Uh, I promised earlier that we talked about the free thought groups that are here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I guess the first is the Atheist Society of Knoxville, founded 15 years ago. November marks our 15th anniversary. ASK is now nearly seven, actually over 700 members now. And you can find them online at knoxvilleatheist.org. 
or you can go directly to a meetup and just meet them for yourselves. Look for uh, the Knoxville Atheists online, find out where they meet, and uh, matter of fact, I'll just tell you. They meet every Tuesday at West Hills, Flats, and Taps, and Kings and Pike near West Town Mall, where they get together for food, drink, and conversation. Everybody is welcome as long as you don't preach, proselytize, provoke, or punch. Thank you, Matt Lilandi. Um, also, go, go online look for Knoxville Atheists and take you straight there. Another large free thought group here in Knoxville are the Rationalists of East Tennessee. They've been around for more than 20 years. RET has bi-weekly presentations, that's twice a month, and discussions on the Pellissippi State Campus near Hardin Valley Road. They meet the first and third Sundays at the Goins Administration Building, Cafeteria Annex, and if that's too much to remember, just go to rationalist.org and click on Upcoming Events. And once you get on campus, just follow the sign. There's also a group called the Sunday Assembly, which started in England and just a couple of years ago has spread around the world. It's a no-God church setting that has, for those who have had enough of religion, but we still like the fellowship of a church-type gathering. However, they only meet once a month, and it's on the fourth Sunday of every month. Uh, if you're a student, you might look into the Secular Student Alliance, who has programs to give camaraderie and community to any free-thinking high school or college student who would like to be involved in the free thought movement, or would just like to find other free thinkers to hang with. Everybody needs like-minded friends and atheists that are no different. Finally, there's a newcomer to Knoxville. Uh, the, free, you know, the Freedom from Religion Foundation has a new chapter here in Knoxville. It's only opened about six, eight months ago. And they're doing good work with the people in Madison, Wisconsin, to help keep the wall between church and state solid. And if you'd like to know more about them, go online and look up Freedom from Religion in Knoxville, Tennessee. They meet every Wednesday in my, I think they're meeting actually right now at, uh, yes. Wednesday. Wednesday at 6.30, I think, at oh, uh, Earth Fair in uh, Church Street. So that's, that's once a month on the second Wednesday. And, uh, don't forget, we talked about a free thought TV show, an atheist called in TV show a little earlier. And even though it doesn't, doesn't have any super characters on it. <laughs> Again, watch it every Tuesday between 5 and 6 o'clock on Comcast Channel 12, or Charter Channel 192. And if you don't have cable TV, you can always watch it on streaming online at ctvnox.org. Uh, you can also find the archive of some of those shows there uh, that on YouTube where fans have been posting it. Just search for three words Free, free Thought Forum Knoxville. And if you're interested in either getting involved with the TV show or this radio show, just come to an Ask or RET meeting to talk to us about it. You could be our next co-host or guest. That's how you found it. That's how you got here. Rip and hi. Uh, Wombat. Um, I guess that's all. We have a phone here. If you want to call in and join the conversation, you can call 865-333-5937. 865-333-5937. Five nine three seven eight six five three 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 five nine three seven three 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 five nine three seven that's three 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 five nine three seven and join the conversation. Um, Riv, I think you wanted to take us into the next topic, didn't you? Oh well, uh, kind of a, a amalgamation of the 
opening or near opening bit about fear of death and healthcare and the contradictions of logic and so on. Uh, let me throw in something else to the mix there. Um, so when people talk about uh, what's natural and what's not natural, right? Uh, it seems to be just thrown out entirely that automobiles aren't natural. Um, <laughs> computers aren't natural. Uh, nearly everything we use in the modern world is uh, is not natural uh, by standards. I think people are being honest about it in terms of our oldest... My opinion ability is not natural. I am clearly superior. Wait, you assume what? Sorry. My singing ability is not natural. How dare you? Oh, oh, my singing ability? My bad. Yes, I have a natural singing voice. I'm amazing. You you do have that voice that could just, you know, melt mics, so... (laughs) I'm I'm not still being, like, green. I'm a great rhymer, too. Maybe it's your breath. Well, but no, that really all ties into it, because if something isn't natural other than purely what the body does, that's all you need, you know, the healing lifeblood, drink poison, have enough faith, you'll be fine, yada, 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 everything, the added bits added on to uh, one of the later renditions is is Mark. So, oh, sorry. Um... So you have those bits that were added on there, and uh, all to say that all you need is your face. It's all you need. The body will do everything for you. It's all you need. And if nothing is natural outside of the body, then you know, you know, unless you're abstaining from any kind of modern fool whatsoever, uh, then it really comes into a problem in terms of being consistent. Yeah. Uh, you know, and but that's just that's just compartmentalized because we we live in the world we live in today, and that's the way it is. And of course, it's not like that, right? You, the longer you spend around somewhere, the longer you have a risk of sometimes developing a, a tepid creepings of myopic worldview. You know, not necessarily as easily, but used to things. And, but of course, around the world, conditions are all all kinds of different. Uh, a lot of things we take uh, for our, our, our daily endeavors are made easier by modern innovations. You just take them for granted. Um, but all that is to say that if you fear death, but you have faith that you're going to a better place, and you're using the modern advents of technology, especially in medical innovations, then something doesn't add up there. Uh, so what that seems to suggest is that you actually don't really, truly believe what it is you're uh, claiming. Otherwise, you would just you just follow suit. You would you would not have any problem, any inclinations with following whatever religious texts tell you. But there's a part of you telling you that well, no, actually, I'm not fully convinced of that. That's why I don't do things that wouldn't be endangering myself because I don't have full faith in whatever this book tells me. But people want to admit that to themselves. It's, it's too much of a fear of... Well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of uh, social pressure to say that you do believe it, even if maybe you don't believe 100%. Uh, and That's in order true. to get along in your church, you have to say that you believe. You have to say the amens when the preacher makes a point. Right. Uh, and if you don't, you, you look 
uh, side eye, you get a little side eye there in, in church, and you very quickly fall from my favor. But, um, I would say, can I add on that? There's even pastors, yeah, yeah. there's even pastors and preachers who don't believe, but are stuck themselves into a situation where they don't have any means of economically supporting themselves. I think, uh, I forgot what the, there's a website of people who are, uh, leaders in churches who have fallen out. Do you, are you aware of the, the name of this site that I'm thinking of, Data 5? The, yeah, the clergy project. Yes, exactly. Still caught in the pulpit, as it were. Somebody actually wrote a book out there called Caught in the Pulpit. He no longer believed he was basically an atheist, but he was, he was caught in his job. He knew that if he, if he came out of the atheist closet and told his friends and family and, and churchgoers that he was an atheist, he would lose his job. Right. His, his, uh, security. His family. Everything. Everything. And, uh, that, I mean, can you imagine having to live a lie day to day telling people things that you, that you believe, but you really don't believe? And, and sending them down that same path that you survived, you were, you were able to escape from. Exactly. Yeah. And I have a good friend who, uh, is, in that actual bout himself, uh, but minus the part that he, he still, he still claims to believe, but in the long conversations we've had, I've seen signs that he's really just saying things out of habitual response. He's not actually convicted of what he's saying. He'll find all kinds of ways to dodge, change the subject. You know, going around saying, I got, I got this juice. I got this healing water that'll solve all your problems. And I, they go back to, well, what is it going to do? It's going to bring me into that religion, and therefore you have all the problems all over again. So it's not really right. right. But but the point is that uh, he is a minister, and he has been deeply embedded for a long time in, in that family and that group. And, you know, there's the whole psychology of having, you know, distance, you know, distance with your, your mother, your brother, your brother, your sister, you know, that's why you have brothers and sisters. It's all a psychological word game. But, yeah. you know, if he were to really start exploring where, on a cerebral level, I believe he's at, he shows it all the time in our conversations, um, he were to come, he, he, were, he would be directly faced with further compartmentalizing. So I think that's, I think that's why he just chooses to not touch it because Everything he has built around is, is being trained as a minister. And um, if he starts pursuing truth, then where does that lead? Right. And if you are, if you are in the audience and you find yourself in this situation, do search for The Clergy Project online. They have resources to help you transition from a clergy um, person to a more administrative uh, or writing type of person. You can write books and articles. You can you can administer offices. You can, there are a lot of things that you have built your skill set to match that uh, would would work in the secular world. So don't give up, and uh, don't you don't have to live a lie anymore. You just have to contact the right people to, for the help that you need to get out of it. Um, Wombat, a little earlier, you were talking about. Um, no, I think it was Riv saying that uh, he was, uh, somebody was praying, but he found out he was just talking to himself. Um, there's a movie out there with Peter O'Toole in it. It's actually 
uh, a part of the theme. It's called Ruling Class, and Peter O'Toole played a schizophrenic who had, had a break with reality, and he was convinced he was Jesus. And a reporter came out and talked to him, and uh, they asked him how he found out that he was Jesus. He said, well, I found out that every time I was praying that I was just talking to myself. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, that, that was funny. I, I, it harkened back to the movie, and I had to bring that up. It's pretty solid logic if you just go from A to P. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a meme that I like to post occasionally. It says, uh, it, it has a picture of a toy phone. He says, when, when I came to atheism, I realized that prayer was like having that toy phone when I was a child. Uh, all the conversations were imaginary, and nobody ever called. <laughs> 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 So I I had thought about this for a while. Speaking of phone, what if heaven had a phone number? And I want us to think, if possible, think about it for just a moment. If there was one phone in heaven that could be that had a number that could be dialed by anyone, I don't want to mind if it was busy all the time. I wouldn't mind if only one person could get through at a time. I wouldn't mind if it was like an extreme rate per minute to get through. That would be really. I would just for the for the sake of. You know, do you believe this or not? Like, is this actually true or not? Is this demonstrable or not? Can you get through or not? Hey, that would be really, really great proof. And I, if you phone number and they call and say, "Heaven, are you going to believe that it's actually heaven?" How would you verify? So check this out. If you call it, if you call it, and we have heaven? this, don't forget, there's all kinds of different versions of heavens out there. Different religions, so different versions. Of help me. This is already a far-fetched idea to begin with. But what I'm saying is, it's more proof that with what it is than what it is without. And and the main point would be is how hard would it be to just have one phone line in heaven, and if you were God, and just say, okay, fine, if this is what you want, boom, there you go. Now here's your phone line. Call in and ask any questions you want. Call in and get repeatable, testable information from whatever your angel you want to talk to. Call in and talk to your dead spouses or whatever. It's like, hey, you want to talk to Martin Luther King? You want to see what he's doing? Pick him up. Hi, this is Martin Luther King. Don't call me anymore. It's like, hey, yeah, yeah, we got some questions. We got an interview for you. It's like, all right, fine. I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm going to a Billy Joel concert. I don't even know if he's still alive or not, but there you go. But still, uh, these could be things that we could have enough time with where we can actually get more reliable information on whether or not it's a valuable release to have. And I think, how hard would it be to just have one phone line out? That's, that's literally it. But as, as silly as that is, uh, it, it's, it just calls to how little proof there actually is that substantive that could be used to sustain or justify belief in a heaven and hell in the first place. And like I said, if you're a God, make one phone line. Just connect in. Just like, here's your, here's your number. Have someone pray. Look, God, I need to contact you somehow. It's like, oh, really? Just, just call 555-6747. That's heaven. And I'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. How great would that be? I, 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 that would not be hard for an all-powerful God. That's true. However, I, I don't think that, unless he was able to impart information that humanity could not possibly have, uh, yeah. that, uh, that would be a way to verify that it was not human. Hey, God, well, I was involved with the string be, theory. Could you help us out? Okay. Could be alien. Okay, now here's, here's the thing I've always said, and I've written articles to this effect, that how hard would it have been for the almighty creator of the universe to create a Bible that was self-updating and active and interactive with the people that read it? I mean, 
uh, it would automatically update to the information that we needed at the time of our progress and, and be able to um, answer questions that the person had. I mean, right there on the page. How hard would it have been for him to do that rather than write something in some obscure language that went out of out of uh, use thousands of years ago and now we have 27,000 different versions of it floating around and everybody's saying that they know what it means when they contradict everybody else who say they know what it means. So here's my response to that. Here's my response to that. And again, it'd be better proof with it than it is without it. But still, like any kind of advanced technology would appear to us like magic. So who's to say that that book that can change and morph and have words show up and pictures show up and disappear as necessary isn't just some, isn't just some advanced technology that was dropped to us either by some civilization that has yet to be discovered or an alien civilization that's come to visit us or time travelers from the future. There's so many different sources that would be slightly more justifiable than pointing to an all-powerful, almighty God that created the universe. It, it brings up more questions than necessary that, to point towards the supernatural than it is to point to some advanced technology that we just haven't been able to comprehend yet. I bet if you dropped an iPhone in the middle of, like, some sort of Amazonian tribe, you know, like, where they've had barely any access to, you know, humans at all, they'll pick that up, they'll see stuff moving on it, and they'll think the same thing we would if we saw a book that could morph and change its text and in the manner that you're describing. The purpose of the book would be understanding. The per- uh, dropping an but how do we know it came from a God? Huh? It's the same problem we have with the phone. It's like how, a, a good skeptic would look at that and with the same thing with the phone, ask themselves, how do you know that's from God? How do you know that's not just from an alien? How do you know that's not just some advanced trick? That's a very good uh, point. How do we know anything is from God or God even exists? How do we prove that? Yeah, it's such an extraordinary claim that, you know, a one book, one phone line, it won't solve it. But again, there's no steps, there's no breadcrumbs, there's nothing, there's no rope, there's no line, there's no clue that's getting us to that God. And it seems like this God is wanting to win this uh, gold medal in hide and seek. And it makes it really, really complicated for, or I would say more desperate for people who spent their entire lives dedicated to believing in him, uh, sacrificing the, things in their lives, forcing their kids to realize that they will go to uh, it's a state of internal torture if they don't believe in this you know, all-powerful being that will never speak to them, talk to them, uh, console them, give them advice. They have to still work for themselves, but give all credit to this thing that they none of them can ever, ever have a tangible experience with. And it, it just feels like this dead end. It's, it's, it's sort of a, a, a sad inward tragedy. But I would say probably what's worse is when given the opportunity or given the opportunity, or not the opportunity, but when introduced to people or new concepts that are secular in nature, they're so prone to this one form of programming that, or social programming that they've been subjected to that they treat anything that's uh, not what they're uh, absolutely uh, uh, comfortable with as something not only foreign but like uh, uh, an offense to themselves personally because they've so closely identified with this non-existent God in their lives that anything that uh, challenges it, they have to take personally because they have no other safeguard in front of them. Well, I kind of an extension of that in a way, but really trying to get back to something that was mentioned earlier about uh, a changing book, you know, thing, uh, that would update itself. Uh, 
kind of maybe take a small kind of brief thought experiment, just extend that out a bit. And you have maybe a couple of things at least to, to consider. Uh, say a book did update itself, right? You hit on technology. That was one thing I was going to hit on was technology. What that creates a whole a whole can of worms. How does that change history as we know it in terms of innovations and so so on and so on? That is in itself, I think, a very entertaining notion to dive into. But um, also, what would it say about the moral uh, view? What would it say about the 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 ethicality of a book that say for one point said yes treat your slaves in this this way and put a yell through the ear and tell the master I want to trade the family you gave me all that stuff right uh, and take from the lens and, and so on keep the little children all that all the all those all those writings but all of a sudden uh, you know it starts updating itself some several hundred years later to no longer say those things I mean what would that imply that some omniscient, um, of course, maybe to pull directly from that curious, uh, that, you know, if that line goes along the lines of, uh, if, uh, willing, but not able, why not, uh, why omniscient if, if, uh, if able, but not, not willing? Why does evil exist if he's able, if he's able, knowledgeable about it, and willing to cure it? Uh, but and we look around the world and there is evil. So you can have two out of three. You can't have three out of three. Stop claiming it. You're God. Right. And, and a lot of apologists will basically take that angle to say, well, no, it's not omni. It's maximum. Yeah, well, they changed that because of the argument. Right. Uh, so, <clears throat> kind of round out that point, I was going to say that um, what would that say about a book that changes its writing as society determines what is moral or wouldn't that wouldn't that put that God at well it means it means up front that they've got a separate moral uh, standard that they're judging the book by not getting their their standard from the book um, one thing that you know getting back to this topic about what kind of proof it would take to, to convince me that there was a God um, Matt Dillahunty on Atheist Experience came up with the answer that I use nowadays uh, God would know even if I don't know what it would take to, for me to believe in God, God would know. If he's omniscient and he knows everything about me, he would know what it takes, or what it would take for me to believe. Yet he, he refrains from giving me that evidence. He refrains from telling me about it. And how many millions of other people around the world who are not Christians that he, does he refrain from giving that information to, even though he gave it to Paul? He just picks and chooses the people he wants to know, apparently. We're getting down to about three minutes before the end of the show. Uh, would you have any last words there, Riv and, and Wombat? Uh, well, just want to add real quick. Uh, there's a difference between believing and... Uh, okay, so con- you're convinced of something or not convinced of something. So when people say, um, you just got to believe. You just, you know, just keep on trying to believe it. You don't choose belief. No. You, you're, you're convinced of something right. based on your knowledge. That's uh-huh. a huge, uh, frustrating thing that, uh, is just never resolved other than just, just people trying to take that, exercising some thought and realizing, mm-hmm. no way, that's true. So that's, that's a caveat. And as always, uh, uh, 
you know, uh, be well, do good. Very good. And uh, Wombat, final thoughts? Sure. I just asked, hey, if anyone's listening in, do you value doubt? Do you think it's important? And if so, why do you think it's important? How does it you think? How can doubt uh, protect you from believing things that may not necessarily be true? And then ask yourself, how would you? In what ways do you use doubt with regard to your religious beliefs? And if you don't, maybe there's a disconnect there. Ask yourself, why not? Considering they use doubt on one that's presented with every other religious belief in the world, you would think that they would just <laughs> less, at least one step farther. And this sure. is out of five. Final thoughts. Everybody's going to somebody else's hell. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it until they prove that hells and souls actually exist. And this is Digital Free Thought Radio Hour on WOZO Radio 103.9 LPFM. Uh, we'll be signing off now. And uh, see you next week at 7 o'clock. Bye. Bye. Free Thought Radio Hour. Simply-